I'd like today to uh, welcome, first of all, welcome. This is not a regular class, so uh, I see many uh, familiar faces, but also some new faces. So um, we're not going to go through uh, who everybody is. And if it was a regular class, we'd find out who everybody is. But welcome to Drisha and, uh, and all good things for Emir Tashem for the new year. Okay, today I'd like to, I'd like to talk about two, pa- uh, two parts, the two parts to this shiur. There are two parts to this class. One, I want to focus on the biblical content uh, relating to Rosh Hashanah and specifically the theme of the shofar as it emerges from the biblical content. And the second part of the shiur, the second part of the class, I'd like to talk about the nature of the mitzvah of the commandment as it's formulated by the halakha to blow shofar. Uh, we'll mention a couple of uh, important ideas in that context. Um, the second half of the shiur, I'm going to use the source sheet that was put together by my good friend uh, Rabbi Dov Linzer. It's just there's no point to uh, re- reinvent the wheel, so there's uh, a lot of good sources that he put together that we can use. So I'd like to start with the biblical uh, material, the biblical evidence, the biblical themes that emerge from the Torah. Now we call Rosh Hashanah the first day of Tishrei, the beginning of the year. But the truth is it's not so simple, to say the least. The Torah, for example, never calls the first day of Tishrei Rosh Hashanah. Never calls it. In fact, in the entire Bible, the term Rosh Hashanah does not appear. Does not appear. Take a look in uh, the book of Vayikra, in the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 23. The Torah here has the whole section of the Moadim, the section of the holidays. In page 260, there, are yeah, there aren't more. There's no more left? Okay, you want to share? Okay, page 260. Okay, thank you. So page 260, the Torah says, it has here the section of the Moadim. The Bible has three or four places where it discusses the holidays. This section focuses on a couple of key uh, terms, key ideas, which it keeps repeating. Number one, the concept of Shabbaton. A Shabbaton in the Bible is not a Shabbaton where you go and, you know, eat bad food and, uh, and, and do things like that. Or eat very fancy food and pay $500 a weekend like some people do. A Shabbaton in the Bible is a fancy way of saying it's a Shabbat. It's a kind of souped up Shabbat. It's not just a regular day of, of Shabbat, but it's a Shabbaton. And therefore, Yom Kippur in the Bible is called Shabbat Shabbaton. If you really want to give it a sense that it's a very special day of removal from your daily work and daily life, we call it a Shabbaton. So in Vayikra 23, the Bible, one of the key terms that the Bible uses is Shabbaton. The second key term that the Bible uses is Mikra Kodesh, a holy calling day or a day that people come together or it's a day of holiness. It's called holiness. What exactly that implies is a big question. Ramban, for example, interestingly enough, says um, in one of his commentaries, Ramban claims that the concept of Mikra Kodesh is a biblical fulfillment when people gather together in synagogue and they daven and they praise God on Shabbat Yom Tov. Not only is it because people are off from work, so even though in, during the week, you know, so 30 people come to shul in the morning, but on Shabbos, 300 people come to shul in the morning. It's not just because people are off from work, says the Ramban, but when people come together, they are fulfilling this idea of calling it a special day of Mikra Kodesh. Number three, each one of the holidays in this section tells us about mitzvah hayom, the special mitzvot that relate to the day. 
So for example, on Sukkot, it talks about building a sukkah, taking a lulav and in a trove. On uh, Yom Kippur, it talks about the initem nafshotechem, you're supposed to, uh, you're supposed to inf- afflict your soul and so not eat. On Pesach, it talks about the mitzvah of eating matzah. So this is the kind of, each one of the holidays has these elements. And of course, the element of kol melechet avodah, that you're not supposed to do work on these holidays. And it's work. The way we define work, work, not just work, and that's why the Torah says melechet avoda, really hard work, creative work, as opposed to cooking. That's one of the reasons why cooking is mutar, is permitted on Yom Tov, because the Bible uses the word melechet avoda. Only melacha, that's avoda, that has in it a, a dimension of work rather than a melacha that has a dimension of, of sustaining the soul. What's called melechet ochel nefesh, to sustain the body, that's permitted. So that's the model. So take a look at when we get to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, the Bible tells us in chapter 23, 23, the Bible says, So the Bible talks about what you're supposed to... In the seventh month, So it has the Shabbaton. Zichron Trua Mikra Kodesh it has the Mikra Kodesh it has the Melechet Avodah don't do any work the only term that's used here is Zichron Trua remembrance of a Trua it does not use the word Shofar and it does not say what Zichron Trua means it's very ambiguous what does it mean? a remembrance of the Trua of the sound of a, of, of, of a blast a blast of what? A blast of a trumpet, a blast of a shofar. It's unclear in the Bible what exactly you're supposed to do. What's also interesting is the Bible talks about this on the seventh month, not the first month. In the Bible, the first month is not Tishrei, the first month is Nisan. Remember, our calendar is a solar lunar calendar, which goes together, meaning it's an agricultural, together with a historical calendar of some kind. And it's a purely solar calendar that follows the seasons. We have a kind of lunar solar calendar. And here, it's the seventh month. It's not the beginning of the year, at least at first blush. The second time the Bible mentions Rosh Hashanah explicitly is in Bamidbar, in, in, in Numbers, chapter 29. This section is, doesn't talk about um, so much Shabbaton, and it doesn't talk so much about the special uh, mitzvot, the special mitzvah of the day, but it talks about the korbanot, the sacrifices that are unique for each day. That's why these verses, for those who pray the Musaf service on Shabbat, if you do the additional service on Shabbat, so that's, or on Yom Tov, these are where the verses come from, from this section. It's on page 352. The Bible starts here. It says, after it's talked about Pesach and it's talked about Shavuot, it says, verse 1, Page 352, chapter 29. It should be a day when you blast. Yom Teruah. A day when you hear blasts or when you blow blasts. It doesn't even say the word blow. It just says Yom Teruah. It's a day of Teruah. What's a day of Teruah? Unclear. And then it talks about the Korbanot. Vasitem Ola Parben Bakar etc. Uh, etc. So you have here this idea 
of Yom Teruah and Zichron Teruah. The day, it's a day of Teruah and it's Zichron Teruah. But let's get a little bit deeper. What, is the, what exactly is a Teruah? What exactly in Biblical Hebrew is a Teruah? And what exactly does the Bible uh, seem to, to point to in terms of the, terms of the, the Biblical material? So, and, and again, getting back to the question of is it really the beginning of the year? We say it's the beginning of the year, but the Torah says it's in the seventh month. Last time I checked, the seventh is in the middle of the year, not in the beginning of the year. So what's going on? Is it the beginning of the year or is it the end of the year? <laughs> or is it the beginning of the middle of the year? So the truth is, is that... I'm sorry? Is there an you better believe there's an answer. <laughs> on, a, on, a biblical, on a biblical level, there's an answer. And uh, this is kind of straightforward. Lots of people have noticed it. Um, the truth is that the months of the year, what we would call the historical calendar, starts in Nisan, because that's when Jewish history began, when the Jewish people left Egypt. And that period, of course, is the period of the Aviv, of the spring. But what exactly is the biblical model? So for, so for the historical calendar, it's clear the beginning of the year is in Nisan. Okay. But there's another calendar as well. When you look at the agricultural year, so you could start the agricultural year or end it anytime you want, meaning it just depends on what you think is important and how you perceive. Do you start the agricultural year when the rains begin? Do you start the agricultural year when you harvest? Do you start? These are all interesting questions that the Bible seems, you know, you could take a, a, a different, a different uh, points of view. Take a look at the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus. And you'll see how the Bible seems to, at least at first blush, seems to relate to what is the kind of, how do it, it perceives the cycle of the year, of when you begin the, the agricultural year, when you end the agricultural year. So turn to chapter 23, verse 14. The Bible is talking about the the first time the Bible ever mentions the holidays. It does not mention Rosh Hashanah. It's the first time the Bible ever mentions the holidays. It's in the context of the pilgrim holidays, the three pilgrimages to Jerusalem, Shalosh Regalim, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. In the context of the pilgrimage holidays, so take a look at chapter 24, verse 14. Shalosh Regalim Tachog Li Three times a year. You keep the Chag HaMatzot. Just parenthetically, it's interesting. Chag HaMatzot, this is a whole other shear, but we'll take a minute. Pesach has no agricultural dimension to it. What? What, are you kidding me? Don't we sing all those songs? You know, Aviv Ba and all that stuff. That is incorrect. Pesach, nowhere in the Bible, is called Chag HaAviv. That may be a modern you know, Zionist uh, you know, so idea, which is not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. But from the Bible... The Bible never calls Pesach Chag Ha'aviv. The Bible says, Shamor et Chodesh Ha'aviv. Be careful that Chag HaMatzot comes out in the springtime. But nowhere in the Bible is, is Pesach called Chag Ha'aviv. And the answer is very simple because nothing really happens. Agriculturally, nothing really happens until really the middle of that period. Yes, the beginning of certain things are starting to harvest, but from the point of view of the classical agriculture of the Middle East, 
Nothing really happens. It's the beginning of the blossoming, but nothing really that human beings do. That's what I'm talking about. Human beings involved in agriculture. But look at the next verse. When it comes to Shavuot, Shavuot is an agricultural holiday. It's called the holiday of harvesting. So Pesach is called Chag HaMatzot, maybe called Chag HaPesach, which are two different holidays, but it's never called Chag HaVid. Shavuot is called Chag HaKatsir Bikurei Matzecha. Chag HaAsif, so what does it say? Bitzait HaShana, as the year is leaving. So interesting, the Bible makes it very clear. When is the end of the year? And if it's the end of the year... That means it's also the beginning of the year. When you end the year, also begin the year. Right? Remember Simchas Torah? We end and we begin. Right? January 1st. We, we end and we begin. So the Bible seems to say that Chag Hasid takes place in the Tekufa, in the period of the end of the year, which is also the beginning of the year. Now what is Chag Hasid? The holiday of? Of Sukkot. The holiday of Sukkot is the holiday when you've finished gathering the fruit and you count your blessings and you count all the money you made this year or didn't make this year, okay, depending on the year. And that's one of the reasons why you go out into the sukkah, dafka during this period of time in an agricultural society because that's the time when you're most uh, happy with yourself and your lot and that's the place, that's when you would be very joyous and dafka at that time you got to go out and say, you know what, I don't I have this fancy house, I got to go out. But it's interesting, the Bible makes it very clear that Chag HaAsif is Tzayt HaShana. The period of Sukkot, the period in the middle of Tishrei, is the period of the end of the year and therefore the beginning of the year. The same thing is clear in the book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. If you turn to Deuteronomy, we have some time. It's not a five minute sheet, right? Okay. So, um, if you turn to page 443 in the uh, JPS, or chapter 31, Perak Lamed Aleph in Sefer Dvarim. So the Torah has a mitzvah called Hakel, the mitzvah to gather together once in seven years. Um, and the king reads from the Bible in order to connect people to, 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 to their history and to, their, and to Yirat Hashem and, and the fear of God and reverence for God. So in verse 10, here too, look at what the Bible says. Vayetzav Moshe otam lemor. And Moses commanded the people. Miketz sheva shanim. At the end of seven years. What a terrible translation. Look at English, it says every seventh year. What is it every seventh year? It's a terrible translation. It means, I, I hate bad translations. At the end of seven years, in the time of the Shemitah, so here too the Bible makes it very clear, the end of the year is the period of time of Sukkot. This is the period of time of the end of the year, the period of time of the beginning of the year. Because from the perspective of the agricultural year, this is the period of time of, of the... As I said, everything has been harvested. Everything's been brought into the house. And the first rains are on the horizon. In, not in, you know, here, we, here it rains all the time. But in <laughs> Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel, this is the time when it starts beginning to rain. A little bit earlier, a little bit later. It's a period of time. 
And this is really implicit also in the... What does it mean, Miketz Sheva Shanim? At the end of seven years, when's the end? The end of the seventh year is Sukkot, which means also the beginning of the, second, of the eighth year is Sukkot. Now, at least at first blush. Now, conceptually, this is really implied all the way at the beginning of the Bible. If you turn to the story of the flood, story of the flood. So, the Bible makes it very clear It says, at least one could read this passage in the Bible that way. Um, okay. Um, one could read this idea. Just one second. Yeah. So the Torah says in chapter 9, uh, chapter 8, verse 22, page 15, when God promises that he will no longer destroy the world. Remember, during the Mabul, during the flood, there was, at least the Bible presents it as the undoing of creation. There was no light. It was dark. There was no, it was like a, you know, it was like the beginning of creation when the water just covered the earth. Before there was anything. There was no vegetation. There was nothing. And so the Bible there says that God promises in verse uh, 21, I will no longer destroy and curse the world, the land. I will no longer destroy everything. So long as the earth endures, the seasons will continue. What are the seasons? Sera, seed, chapter 8, verse, nine, uh, verse 22. Seeding, zera, vikatsir, and harvesting, and kor, cold and heat, vikayitz, vachoref, summer and winter, v'yom v'layl. So notice how it describes zera vikatsir, the beginning of the year, I think this is the way to read it, zera. The zera is the time of planting. When do you start planting in the land of Israel? You start planting in the month of Tishrei, the month of Cheshvan, so that when the heavy rains come, they'll be able to saturate the earth that's been seeded. So, from the perspective of the Bible, it's not the beginning of the year in terms of the historical year of Nisan, but it is the beginning of the year of the historical period of, whatchamacallit, of the agricultural year. And so, there is something very biblical in its roots to Rosh Hashanah. Now, it's interesting, the Bible, you know, our tradition also tells us on Rosh Hashanah, God created the world the land. What's the first thing you do in the land is you plant in the land and you judge the land. Now I just would like to add something that Rav Yol Binun once, com- once pointed out that it's true the Bible doesn't have Rosh Hashanah because it's not really one day. What do I mean one day? It's a period. In fact, take a look in the book of Deuteronomy. The Bible has a different term. It doesn't have the term Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a rabbinic creation. The first time you find it is in the Mishnah. It's a Mishnaic term. It's not a biblical term. It's from the Mishnah. But there is a biblical term. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11. Chapter 11. 
The Bible talks about the land of Israel. What's different about the land of Israel than the land of Mitzrayim, the land of Egypt where you came from? Rain. And the Bible says on page 399, verse, verse uh, whatchamacallit, verse 10, you're going to go into this beautiful lush land. It's very, very beautiful. Verse 9. A land flowing with milk and honey. Great! But there's a catch to the flowing milk and honey. It's not like the land of Egypt. Which you can water with your own labors like a vegetable garden. Which means, you, what do you do? You take the Nile, you put some tributaries, you put a couple of canals, and you can water all the area around. It's very fertile. Eretz Israel is different. Harim, Uvkaot, it's a land of hills and valleys. Limitara it relies on the rain. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. But notice, the Torah does not use the word Rosh Hashanah. The Torah uses the term Reshit Hashanah. I'm sorry, Reshit Hashanah, thank you. Reshit Shana until Acharit Shana. So Rav Yoel argued, I think very convincingly, I don't have the time to prove it all, that Reshit Shana, as opposed to Rosh Shana, is a period of time. It's like the beginning of a unit. Reshit Shana includes what we would call the entire month of Tishrei. The entire month of Tishrei is the period of the beginning of the year. And that's why, interestingly enough, in a certain sense, one has to look at this entire period, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, culminating with Shemini Atzeret as one unit, which is exactly what we do. It's very interesting that the way Jewish practice plays out the holidays, we really do look at this entire unit as one unit. And I'll prove it to you biblically that it's really one big unit. Take a look in the book of uh, in Bamidbar, in Pinchas, in chapter 29. In chapter 29. Page 352. Okay? Now notice when the Bible describes the korban, the special korban that's of these days. Notice the korban. So in chapter 29, the sacrifice of the first day of the month. So what's the sacrifice? So the Bible says, verse 2, V'asitem ola l'reach nichoch par ben bakar echad ayil echad kvatsim shiv'at mimim. Look at Yom Kippur. What happens on Yom Kippur? So besides all the other things that happen on Yom Kippur, verse 8. Exactly the same korban. Now take a look at when it comes to Sukkot, Sukkot itself is different. Sukkot itself is different. Look at verse 12. Verse 13. 
Vikraftem, what does it say there? Ola, Yishei Rech Lichok Lashem, Parim B'nei Bakar, Shlosha Sari Lim, Shnaim Kvatsim Neshanar, Vasar Tmim Yu. Notice it's different, right? Turn to Shmini Atzeret. What's the korban of the eighth day of Sukkot? Verse 35. What do you have? So it's very interesting. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Shmini Atzeret all have the same korban. They all have the same korban. Now you start to understand a little bit about where some of the Jewish practices of that we turn Shmini Atzeret a kind of Yom Kippur. We say the Ne'ilah again, right? It's rooted in biblical ideas that these are all Rosh Hashanahs. These are all Rosh Hashanahs because it's all one long period of Reshit Hashanah. And I'll prove to you Yom Kippur is also a Rosh Hashanah. Where can I prove it to you? From the Jubilee year. Look at the Jubilee year. Where's the Jubilee year? Chapter 25 in the book of Leviticus page 265. 265. So the Bible says in verse 8, you're supposed to count seven sets of seven years. Interesting, seven, seven months, seven years. And then on the seventh, on the 50th year, verse 9, it's the only place in the Bible this is the only place. Shofar. Shofar is not mentioned by Rosh Hashanah. It's not mentioned by Shmi Atzeret, but it is mentioned by Yom Kippur. Not Yom Kippur every year, but Yom Kippur of Yovel, of the Jubilee year. Vahavarta Shofar Tuah B'Chodesh Hashvi B'Esor L'Chodesh B'Yom HaKippurim On the day of Yom Kippur Taviru Shofar B'Chol Ha'Artzachem V'Kidashtem Etshnat HaChamishim Shana Ukratem Dror Ba'Aretz Okay. Okay. And this is Yovel is the day that you call out with the shofar. Just one second. Yeah. And in this context, this is seen, interestingly enough, is the day that we we blow the shofar and it was understood that it's somehow uh, a new, something new is going on. Now, what the Bible then is saying, Rabbi Yolo argued, is this entire period of time is a period of the beginning of the year. It's a period of time when you start again. You end the harvest, you count your blessings, and you start again because the rainy season is about to start. That's why on Shemina Tzeret we pray for rain. Just about when rain is supposed to start. Now you'll ask me, so then why did the rabbis create or call the first day of the month Rosh Hashanah? Why don't they call the last day? <laughs> call the 22nd day of Shemina Tzeret Rosh Hashanah. So what's the answer, obviously? Because it's the beginning of the month. That's the beginning of the year. That's the way you work. It's the beginning of the time period, which itself is the time period, which is the beginning of the agricultural year. So you start at the beginning of the month. 
So that just makes sense. That's just what the, how the rabbis perceive. So already inherent in the Bible, even though at first blush it's not explicit, is the notion of the beginning of the year. In Rosh Hashanah itself, it doesn't say, it doesn't say, Reshit Hashanah. But this is the period of the beginning of the year. So the rabbis understood or connected or expanded, whatever term you want to use, depending on your ideology, perspective, hashkafa, whatever you want, the rabbis expanded the notion, this is the beginning of the agricultural year, this is the, tuku, the tukufa, this is the period of the beginning of the year. And this is the period of the beginning of the year, so then we're going to start at the beginning of the period of the beginning. What units do we have? The units that we have are, are months. And so at the beginning of the month, we start this period. Rabbis went further. And they said, the Torah, in relationship to Rosh Hashanah, to this day, that's the beginning of this period, the Torah uses the term Teruah. It uses the term Teruah. Now what is Teruah? And what is, what's it all about? What's it all about? So here, we have to look in other parts of the Bible to help us. So turn to the 12 little prophets. Turn to Treasar. Turn to Treasar. Treasar, and specifically, we'll turn to the book of Amos, Amos. What page? 1309, chapter 3. 1309. 1309. So Amos Peregimel, chapter 1313. So the Bible describes there, God talks about the great things that he's done for the Jewish people. Verse 2. Raketchem yadati mikol mishpachot adama, alkein efkola only you did I ever choose the word yadati doesn't mean just to know intellectually it also as you all know it has a carnal implication right vayeda adam et man knew his wife it has intimacy so intimacy is also about choosing only you I knew and chose and therefore and then God says in this context he uses an interesting image verse 6 so the Bible tells us something very interesting about the historical reality of when they used the ram's horn. If a ram horn is sounded in a town, do the people not take alarm? That means the ram's horn very clearly in the biblical period was used as a warning. A warning of an impending danger. The shofar is a warning. It's a warning sign. Something bad is about to happen, often war. We know many times, in the context of Sefer Shoftim, there are many battles when they blow Shofar right before they go into war. The Gidon story, when they try to confuse the people, and other stories of blowing the Shofar. The Shofar is associated with war, with fear, with trepidation, with anxiousness, with an impending doom. That's one element that's very clear here about uh, the shofar. Take a look in the book of Yoel. Joel. Where's Yoel? I think he's the next prophet, right? Verse, chap oh, before, thank you. Chapter, uh, chapter 2. 
page 1301. What does it say about the shofar? Tikul shofar Blow a horn in Zion. and sound an alarm. All the people that live on earth should tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, and it's a dark day. It's a very, very uh, bad things are going to happen. Destruction all over the place. Turn the page. Verse 11. God has roared, put his, God has, I'm sorry, um, verse 11. God is, 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 is put his sound before his, his, um, his soldiers. Kirav mod machaneu. Kigadol yom adonai v'noram mod. V'gam ata neum Hashem shvu adi v'chol avavchem turn back to me. U'betzon u'vchil u'misvei with fasting and weeping and lamenting. And rend your hearts, rend your garments, etc., etc. So you have here this element of the voice, the sound of God is supposed to, is, is frightening, it's anxious ridden. It's before the, the battle of, of now it's also interesting here and what is that supposed to lead to it's supposed to lead to tshuva to repentance it's not just a rabbinic creation that the shofar associates itself with repentance the fear that's associated with the shofar because it's the fear of the incoming doom the doom of war or the doom of God's great day is supposed to lead you to rend your hearts Engage in fasting and return to God. This is really the language of the liturgy of the Slichot. Okay, the rabbis saw all, meaning everything that they created, they created rooted in this biblical model. The shofar, the time when we blow the shofar is a time which is supposed to lead us to repentance. It's already in the Bible. So that's one, definitely one element of the shofar blowing. The shofar blowing is an element very, very clearly of impending doom, of danger, of anxiousness, of a tremendous amount of fear. There's another dimension of shofar, which also is implicit in the Bible. Turn to the book of Tehillim, the book of, of, of Psalms. Psalm 47 which we actually say before the blowing of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. 1468. Joyous shouts. For God is awesome. He's the great king. He's king. Verse 6. Allah Elohim Bitrua. God ascends to his throne amidst acclamation. Hashem Bekol Shofar. Zamru Elohim Zameru, Zamru Akinu Zameru, Kimelech Kolart Elohim Zamru Maskil. So, in this context, the shofar blowing is not anxious ridden, it's not fear, it's not trepidation, but it's, it's, it's related to the ascending the throne of kingship. Do 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 do. Okay? Right? Like, you know, His Majesty the King. Like in the cartoons. It's also, you have it, of course, in Tanakh as well. You have Yechi HaMelech. You have the king, should, you know, long live the king. And you have a number of instances in the Bible where they blow the shofar. 
as a sign when, when, you know, when, when King Solomon is anointed king and other times, the blowing of the shofar. So you have the theme of kingship, malchut, also in the shofar. But you also have the third theme, which connects us um, to the other, the last theme, that also finds its way into the liturgy and helped us clarify these two notions. The Bible uses the term um, Yom Teruah. Notice, Zichron Teruah and Yom Teruah. It does not use the word Tekiah. It does not use the word blast. It uses the word Truah, whatever Truah means. It does not use the word Shofar, but we did see that the Torah by Yovel said, Vahavarta Shofar. And the fact that you do this on Yom Kippur led the rabbis to connect because this entire period is one period. That's what allowed the rabbis to learn from Yom Kippur to Rosh Hashanah and from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur and from Yovel to Rosh Hashanah. All these things because they're all part of a, a web. There's one more web. There's one more place where the Bible talks about blowing. Turn to the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, chapter 10. The Jews are in the desert. And in the desert, the Bible tells us that God commanded them to make trumpets. Not shofars, but trumpets. And the Bible uses two very different terms. Verse, page 304. Verse 1. Make for yourself two trumpets. Make them out of one piece of gold, of silver. And what's their purpose? To call the people, to gather the people, and to move the people. So the Bible here makes it very clear that the word tekiah doesn't mean, which I might have thought, is the act and the true is the sound, but there are different sounds. There's a tekiah sound, there's also a teruah sound. This is where we learn it from. Not by Rosh Hashanah. We learn it from the desert. And then the Bible specifies and gives us an inkling when there's a war, you will be remembered by God. Here, the Bible uses a different idea. The Shofar blasts are not a, an air raid siren like they are in the book of Amos to warn us about the impending doom, the impending judgment, to use our terminology, which we borrow for our Rosh Hashanah experience. It's not about telling us that we're about to go into war. It's not even about, and it's not about enthroning God with great pomp and circumstance, which is a second theme but it's also a prayer. It's a prayer. The, sh the blasts of Tekiah and Trua 
are praying to God. You will be remembered by the Lord your God. So it's what we would call bakasha, a request of God. And then it's also a sense of thanksgiving to God. When it's a happy day, and it's a good day, so the trua is a prayer in the midst of suffering, or in the midst of fear, that's profundis, to say in Latin, right? From the profound, mimamakim, kratich Hashem. The trua represents the calling out to God of profound need. And the tekiah represents the sense of happiness, the sense of yom simchatchem. And you'll also be remembered before God that you are experiencing the idea, or you are recognizing that God um, is the one who brings you the happiness and that, right? That by the fact that you're recognizing the happy day and you're bringing korbanot, you're so the idea here is the idea of the trua is the idea of a prayer of supplication, and the tekiah is a prayer of thanksgiving or a prayer of recognition of God. But there's the prayer element. So what you we see in the biblical evidence? I didn't do anything fancy today, right? So far. Nothing fancy. What we see is that in the Bible, already inherent in the Bible, are many of the themes that eventually the rabbis draw out in terms of the biblical themes. You have the theme of anxiousness and the theme of warning, the civil air raid siren of the shofar. Something is about to happen. You better get ready. You better get prepared. Something really, really, really ominous is going to happen because... There's going to be a war, or there's going to be a judgment. Right? You get very nervous before the day that there's a judgment. Right? Also, the theme of the shofar is a theme of prayer, which we see here. And, of course, the theme of, of enthronement of God, of, of kind of, you know, yichi ha-melech, a declaration of God's kingship. And this is all connected to this day, which is part of the beginning of the agricultural cycle, the period of the beginning of the year, the Reshit Hashanah, which starts with the first day of the month of the beginning, which is Rosh Hashanah. That's what emerges from the biblical evidence. What I'd like to do now, as I said, is I'd like to look at some of the halachic material and go into a fundamental question related to the shofar. I made 30 copies. I didn't know how many people would come. So if, if you could share with a friend, and then afterwards we can make more copies for everybody. Okay? So, please make sure that you here in the back. Over there. So now, there are less than 60 people in this room. So there has to be, you don't need more because we can share. Everybody has to share. There are 30 copies. There are less than 60 people in this room. 
Everybody is very, um, everybody is certainly, I don't think there's more than six, am I wrong? Does everybody have a friend, a mother, a sister, <laughs> or just a friend that they can get along with? So, Darabha. Okay. I just want to add one final comment before we get to the halachic material. We now also, we now also understand very beautifully, as has been noted by Rav Yoel and many others commenting on this, we now understand what the Bible is saying by in one place in Parshat Emor it uses the term Yom Teruah and in another place it uses the term Zichron Teruah because these are the two dimensions of Rosh Hashanah which are inherent in the day Yom Teruah means a day of Teruah it's a day of anxiousness it's a day of, of something a great judgment or war something is coming and we really have to be scared. You know, scared straight. That's the Yom Trua element. So the shofar represents that element. But it's also Zichron Trua. It's a day, what did we see? What does Zichron mean on a pshat level? V'nizkartem lifnei Hashem elokechem. We saw in the parsha of the Chatzotrot, in the section of the, of, the, of the trumpets, that when you make these sounds, they also turn into prayer to God. In the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the anxiousness, we transform the shofar also into a sound of prayer. And you're remembered before God. So the zichron trua is that other element of zichron trua. And what's very interesting is that in the Bible itself, the theme not the Bible, I'm sorry, in the Torah. Let me be very careful. In the Torah, the five books of Moses, the theme of God's kingship is not mentioned explicitly. In Tanakh, in Tehillim, that's where the theme of God's kingship takes center stage. God went up, right? We saw that Tehillim. So, again, it's interesting. The theme of God's kingship as much as it's central to our experience of Rosh Hashanah, may not have been as central, may not have been as central in the Torah as it is in Nah. Okay? And the rabbis, and this is again one of those nuances, the rabbis may have played and, and, and expanded a theme which is Sotovoche in Tanakh, is more you know, limited, more minor, and put it center stage in a way that you know highlights other things. Again, it's just interesting. In the Torah itself, and in fact, if you look in the Mishnah, we don't have the time to do this, the, the Gemara has to work really overtime to find any hint of the idea of Malchut, of the kingship of God, in the Torah. There's no psukim to talk about. There's psukim to talk about Trua, talk about Zichron Trua, talk about Shofar, so you could talk about Zichronos and Shofar. But Malchiot becomes so central. Now that may have to do with certain historical developments in order to counterbalance the Romans who tried to impose that you know, they are they're the ones who run the world. Chazal, the rabbis of the Roman period may have 
highlighted so much the idea of Malchiot, the idea of no, it's God's kingship, which is central as an affirmation of what we call Kabbalat O Malchut Shemaim. That's also like Shema. We say Shema every day. The rabbis made a bit this idea of highlighting the kingship of God in in, in opposition to the kingship or the power of Rome may have been something. That's why you find all these Gemaras that talk about the Romans wanted to close down, you know, they didn't want us to daven and therefore we had to sneak in, you know, like in Kedusha, you know, on Shabbat, we sneak in, we talk about God's kingship in Kedusha because they didn't want Jews to affirm. We say Shema Yisrael in the middle of Kedusha. What is Shema Yisrael doing? We didn't, what, because people came late to Shul? So they put in Shema Yisrael <laughs> in the middle of, of the Kedusha prayer. Because the Ro- according to the Gemara, the Romans tried to outlaw Shema Yisrael. So this is the idea of affirming God's kingship, which maybe became such a central theme for the rabbis in a way that may not have been as much necessary. Maybe it's a it's a it's a suggestion. It's a it's possible. I do want to mention though that as I said, we saw one Tehillim. There's another Tehillim that clearly also emphasizes the idea of God's kingship which is a Tehillim which we say the night of Rosh Hashanah also. Turn to Psalm uh, 24. Psalm 24, which is on page 1438. We also say it on the first day of the week. Hayom Yom Rishon B'Shabbat. So the Psalm says, L'David Mizmor L'Adonai Aretzum Loa Tevel V'Yoshveva Ki Hu Al Yamim Yisada V'Al Narot Yichonaneha God is the author of the whole world, the creator of the world, which makes a lot of sense according to our tradition, why we would say it on Rosh Hashanah night, because Rosh Hashanah is the day of creation, even though it doesn't say that in the Bible, um, but the Jewish tradition. But then it talks about who's, gonna, who's able to enter into the house of the Lord, only someone who's ethical and knowledgeable, whatever, and, and ethical and, and, and moral. And then it ends off with the theme of Malchut. The theme of kingship. Who will enter into, into it, who enters the king of glory? God is the king of glory. Now this, as many people have noted, many of modern scholars of the Psalms is what's called an entrance psalm. It was said before somebody entered into the temple. Who can enter? Only human beings can enter who are ethical and moral. And God is, of course, ethical and moral, we believe, and therefore God enters into his temple. When man is ready and enters, then God comes to meet him in the temple. Kaviyachal. As if. So when man is ready to enter the temple, he's cleansed himself. It's a beautiful psalm. Now you understand why we say it on Rosh Hashanah. It talks about creation, it talks about cleansing yourself from sin and being ready to enter the presence of the Lord. And it talks about God entering to his, you know, the, his heavenly abode, getting ready to meet human beings. When man is ready to enter the temple, God is ready to enter his celestial temple to meet human beings. So it's perfect. That's what Rosh Hashanah, it's the day we want to meet God. We want to become lifnai before him. So, so this is very much a Tehillim theme. The theme of God's kingship as reflected in... The day of creation. God created the world, therefore he runs the world, and therefore he's the king of the world, etc. Okay, now let's go to a little bit, as I said, to halacha, to the halachic 
uh, material that um, wanted to look at at least partially. The major question that emerges in the in the Rishonim, meaning once the Talmud indicates that there's a mitzvah to blow the shofar, so the major question is what exactly is the nature of the mitzvah? Meaning, is the mitzvah to blow the shofar or to hear the shofar? Which of course has echoes in what we just discussed on a machshava, on a philosophical level. Meaning, many mitzvot, there's always a question, what exactly is the act? For example, we... On Purim, we have the Megillah. We have Megillat Esther, the scroll of Esther. Is the mitzvah that you and I should read the Megillah or hear the Megillah? I know today we all re- hear the Megillah, but the bracha is mikra Megillah, to read the Megillah. So how am I reading the Megillah even though I didn't say a word? Because I am fulfilling my obligation through the person reading the Megillah, through the vehicle called Shomea Ka'one. In halachic terms, if there are many mitzvot uh, that when, at least when they relate to speech, speech, that if someone else says it and I listen intently and have intention, it's as if I said it or heard it. Uh, it's as if I said it and it's okay. okay. Like the most famous example is Kiddush. Friday night or Shabbat morning, one person makes Kiddush for the whole table or for the whole synagogue and everybody... The mitzvah of Kiddush is not a mitzvah to hear Kiddush. The mitzvah is to say Kiddush, the words of Kiddush. But it, when I listen and I answer Amen, it's as if I said those words. That's the principle in Halakha called Shomea Ke'one. Hearing is like saying. That does not apply to all mitzvot. Okay? There's a very famous, there was a very famous comic many years ago. He became a Balchuva, Mark Wiener, right, from the West Side. And he had a whole riff. Oh, he's from Stanford? Okay. Now he is. So he had a whole funny riff on that whole idea of, you know, when I, when I started to become observant and I went to my first kiddush and they said, I'll have you in mind. And I said, well, that's a great idea. Have you in mind? Can you have me in mind to pay my taxes? Can you have me in mind, you know, to do... It doesn't work. There's very few things, even in halacha, that it works for. For example, this morning I put on tefillin. I can't say, oh, you have me in mind. You put on tefillin. You know, it's like all, you know, it's like the kids in high school. They, why don't... Many of them don't wear tzitzis. You have me in mind, Rabbi. You'll wear tzitzis for me. No, 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 no. That's called a mitzvah shabaguf. That's a mitzvah that you have to do. It only when it comes to mitzvot that have to do with speech that the rabbis created this vehicle called Shomea Ka'onim. And it's predicated on creating a relationship between the person who's doing it and the person who's hearing it. And therefore, both of them have to be obligated in mitzvot. That's why someone who's not obligated, a non-Jew, may be a wonderful person, but they're not obligated, they're not part, as we say, of the, of the Brit. They're not part of the covenantal structure. They're not part of B'nai Brith, as we would say. The B'nai Brith. They're not part, that's where B'nai Brith comes from. B'nai Brith. They're not part of the covenant, so they can't, or a, or a child, a child below the age of mitzvot, below the age of our mitzvah, can't help me fulfill my mitzvah because they're not in the same universe of discourse. Okay. So, when it comes to shofar, the same question we can ask, what exactly is going on? How does a Jew fulfill the mitzvah of shofar? And what exactly is the nature of the mitzvah of shofar? So, very interesting. If you look at the first source, 
What is the bracha that we today, most Jews, make? So the Shulchan Aruch says, and you have it in English, so I'm not going to translate it. If you want to follow in English, on the side, Kodem before you, before you make, before you blow, you have to make the bracha. That's a general principle in halacha called over la'asiyatan. Before you make, before you do a mitzvah, you have to do the bracha, not the opposite. It's prior, not after. And the bracha that you make is lishmoa kol shofar, to hear the words of the shofar. That's the bracha. To hear the words of the shofar. But the Mishnabura writes, Ubediyeved, in Birechli Tkoa Beshofar, Al Tkiat Shofar, Lishmo Bekol Shofar Yatsa. Bediyeved, meaning if by accident you said Litkoa Shofar, to blow the shofar, not to hear the shofar, you're Yotze, you fulfill the mitzvah. So which is it? Is it a mitzvah to hear the shofar? Is it a mitzvah to blow the shofar? Or is it both? And that's the really the interesting question. And it has a couple of uh, ramifications. So Maimonides is very clear. If you look at the third page, Maimonides, in his introduction list of shofar, writes, Lishmoa kol shofar be'echad v'tishrei. To hear the sound of the shofar. Maimonides writes in the laws of shofar, source 5, it's a mitzvah to hear the shofar. To hear the shofar. Now, to hear the shofar is interesting because if it's to hear the shofar, then, theoretically, theoretically at least, I might say that I can hear a shofar from anybody. As long as I have to hear as long as I, I, I'm hearing, so what's the difference? Who I, I heard a shofar blast. It could be a child. It could be a, maybe. If I don't have to work with shomea ka'one, I don't have to blow the shofar. I don't have to make the sounds. I only have to hear. Maybe one could say that maybe I can hear from anybody I want. Halakhically, that's not true. Halakhically, we say that you have to hear from someone who's in the parsha of mitzvot. It has to be someone who, if they heard would be obligated in mitzvot, they can only... So it's a kind of funny kind of situation. Now Maimonides explained himself. You re, generally he'd never explained that much in the Mishnah Torah, but he has a response. If you turn to sort to page 2, Maimonides was asked, She'elah, So he was asked, what is the difference between the blessing, the, the Nusach, the text, to blow the shofar versus to hear the shofar? Or to, to hear the sound versus to blow the shofar. It's very, very different. Because the obligation is not the blowing. Rather the hearing. Because if indeed the mitzvah was to blow the shofar, then every single male because remember, according to rabbinic Judaism, women are exempt from time-bound commandments, so therefore the Rambam says charim here. They're allowed to hear it, they're allowed to do it, but they're exempt. A man, every male would have to blow themselves. K'moshe chayav kol adam v'adam leshev basukah, to sit in the sukkah, litol lulav, to take the lulav. V'ashomea, shalotakalo, somebody in the crowd who heard it would not be yotzi, but that's not what we do. 
500 people come to your shul, one person, the Baal Tokea blows, hopefully he blows well, hopefully everybody has intent, hopefully he doesn't have intent to be mozi everybody except this person who I don't like, because he, you know, he, he, he pushed me in the kiddush or something, I don't know. And if it were true, then somebody who blew but did not hear would not be Yotze either. If he put in earplugs, that's not true. That's not true. The halacha is not that true. Right, the deaf person can't blow because he's also got to hear. Interestingly. So, the Einadavar came, says the Rambam. Elaha mitzvah hi hashmiya, loha tekiya. The mitzvah is the shmiya, the hearing. Loha tekiya. The Einanu toki melakidei lishmoa. Look at the analogy he makes. Kemosha mitzvah hi yeshivat hasukah. Loha siyata. Just like the mitzvah is to sit in the sukkah, not to make the sukkah. Making the sukkah is a preparatory mitzvah, what we call a heksher mitzvah. It's preparatory. You can't sit in a sukkah if you don't have a sukkah. But it's not the essential mitzvah. So the Rambam here is saying something amazing. For the Rambam's perspective, it's a mitzvah of shmiya, the mitzvah of hearing, not the mitzvah of blowing. Because for the Rambam, if it was blowing, everybody would, blow, would have to blow. Why, if it's blowing, can't somebody else blow for me? just like somebody else can't sit in the sukkah for me, just like somebody else can't put on tefillin for me. It's an act. It's not words. It's an act. If the mitzvah was to blow, somebody else couldn't do it for me. Says the Rambam, therefore, it must be that the mitzvah is to hear, not to blow. The blowing is just an opportunity to hear. Now, if I was, if I wanted to integrate the, the hashkafah, or the, or the um, whatchamacallit, the, the perspective, the philosophical perspective, the more and more you emphasize the hearing, the more, at least I hear, much more about the shofar as a warning, the shofar as a way of pushing you to think about the ominous situation that's going to come and that you need to step up to the plate and actually change your ways rather than a prayer because if it's a prayer so you should be the one blowing to God Unless, right? it's much more makes more sense at least and in fact what's interesting is it really dovetails one second and then we'll ask it dovetails with the Rambam's interesting comment the Rambam generally in his halachic works doesn't make too many philosophical comments but here and there he does so turn to page 4 in these sources. Look at what the Rambam says in the laws of tshuva. Source 8. So the Rambam in source 8 says, Even though the truth is the blowing of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is a divine decree and the Bible doesn't spell out. I had to give you a whole shear trying to figure out what the reason is. Remez Yeshbo, there is a hint for its purpose. And what's the Bible trying to say? Uru Yishenim Wake up, you sleepyheads, from your sleep. Venir Damim And those who are sleepy, wake up. And search your actions. And come back. 
in repentance and remember your God. Elu, this refers to people These are the people who forget truth in all kinds of the trivialities of the real housewives of this and the real housewives of that or whatever else. I mean, I guess that's the equivalent in our society of Havle Hazman, really Havle Hazman. Vishogim kol shenatam and they waste all their lives on vacu- vac- vacuity and emptiness. Asher lo yo'il v'lo yatsil. Habitu l'nafshotechem v'beitivu t'archechem alechem v'yazol k'olachem v'chem d'akor ramach shvoto shelo tova. And leave each one their bad ways and return to God. So for the Rambam, interestingly enough, the Rambam really emphasizes the theme of the shofar as a, as a spur to repentance, as a push, as a goad to repentance rather than as prayer in this context. So it may fit very nicely with the Rambam's philosophical conception, fits in with this halachic conception, that it's a mitzvah of shmiyah, it's a mitzvah of hearing, rather than a mitzvah of blowing. On the other hand, if there are others who disagree, there are others, for example, if you turn to source 7, the Sheiltot, which is a Gaonic work, the very back, the Sheiltot, Page 7, source 1, where it says B. Does it say anywhere B, blowing? So the Sheiltot, the Sheiltot writes, the Mechaivin, source 1. It's a Gaonic work. The Sheiltot writes, the Mechaivin, the Beit Yisrael, the Mitka v'chatzotzra. The Jewish people are obligated to blow on the shofar. Blow the shofar, not to hear the shofar. And... Similarly, the Rush, one of the great Rishonim, quotes Rabbeinu Tam, one of the major Tosafists. So Rabbeinu Tam writes, Rabbeinu, source 2, Rabbeinu Tam katab she'esh levarech al tekiat shofar, to blow the shofar. Mishum da'asiyata hi gmar mitzvah. Because when you are doing, meaning when you are blowing it, that's the completion of the mitzvah. The mitzvah is the blowing the Rav Yahavi, the Rav Yah, one of the Chachmei Ashkenaz, quotes Yerushalmi, that the blower of the shofar should bless that you have commanded us lishmoa bekol shofar, velovavarchim al litgob shofar al tkiat shofar, kemo al mikra megillah. So you see that there was a debate in Ashkenaz, in the Ashkenazic community, whether to follow Rabbeinu Tam or whether to follow the, uh, the Rav Yah and the Rambam, whether it's blowing or hearing. Now if it's blowing then it certainly fits in nicely with the idea that blowing the shofar is an act of, of tefillah and we are all davening to Hashem. We're davening through the shofar. And the truth is, there's no doubt that the shofar, you know, obviously you know that the truth is it's both ultimately. It's both the hearing and the blowing. And the truth is that on Rosh Hashanah, there's no doubt that there are elements that clearly highlight that the shofar is an act of prayer. The most, the most clear-cut proof is what? The most clear-cut proof that 
there is a dimension of the shofar where it's not to bring us just to tshuva, meaning pushing us, and it's not just declaring God's kingship, but it's actually an act of prayer to God. What is the best proof of that? Best proof of that? It's in the middle of Shmona Esrei. You blow when you repeat the Shmona Esrei in Musaf on Rosh Hashanah, they blow shofar. Now, why isn't that an interruption? I can't start doing... I'm not allowed to build my sukkah in the middle of Shmona Esrei. That's an interruption. I can't start eating matzah in the middle of my Shmona Esrei. I dive in my Shmona Esrei Pesach night, and then I go eat matzah. I don't do it together with... But on Rosh Hashanah, the shofar blowing becomes integrated with the Shmona Esrei itself. With the Shmona Esrei itself. And therefore, it's not considered an interruption. It's part and parcel of the prayer straight statement. And so therefore, it's part and parcel. And also, the second proof is, there's a very beautiful Gemara, I don't think I Xeroxed it here, but the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, Daf Chavav, the 26th folio of Rosh Hashanah, has the following debate. What is the ideal shofar to use? You know, a shofar, have you ever seen shofars? Shofars can be very twisted, like the Yemenite shofars. Or they can be pretty straight, like our shofars. Our shofars are pretty straight. Yeah, we have a little curve, but some of them, have you ever seen some shofars? You don't have to have a curvy shofar at all if you don't want it. But some are very bent, and some are a little bent, and some are almost straight. So the Gemara has a debate, what's the ideal? Should you have a bent, bent shofar or should you have a straight shofar? So the Gemara says it's a machloket. The debate is dependent on the following question. What is the ideal way to pray? The Gemara says, is the ideal way to pray to be bent over all the time in a sense of total submission to God? As much as a person is bent over or is a person should be straight like a ramrod and stand before God in his humanity and stand before God. So you see very clearly from that Gemara that the Gemara understood that the shofar is a kind of a, 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 um, a unit or an, op, uh, or an instrument of prayer. And therefore, it, it, plays, it plays that role. Now, let's get back to a little bit of halacha. When we get back to a little bit of halacha and we ask ourselves... If the shofar blowing is itself an act, I'm sorry, if the mitzvah of shofar blowing, according to Rabbeinu Tam and many others, is an act, the mitzvah is blowing, not hearing, so then how do you and I fulfill our mitzvah when we blow? Didn't I just say, you can't put on tefillin for me? You can't give tzedakah for me? I mean, how does it work? What is the halachic mechanism by which it works. You can't say shlichut, agency. Agency doesn't work for your, for your own mitzvah. I can send an agent to, you know, to, to, to whatchamacallit, to give money to somebody to do something. But I can't do an agency for my own mitzvot. So you have to say one of two things. You could say... Shomer Ka'one. It is an act of speech. Why is it an act of speech? Because of what we just said. Because it's an act of prayer. 
since it's an act of prayer, it's a silent prayer. But it has upon it many of the rules and regulations of prayer. Just like tefillah. If I'm not literate in the sidur, someone else can make the bracha for me and I answer amen and it's as if I made the bracha. Hearing the shofar, the shofar is a silent prayer. In fact, in Hasidut, in Hasidic sources, right, the silent prayer is the best prayer. It's the prayer beyond words. It's, what, it's the ineffable. It's what I can't articulate, which is the greatest. It's the most holy of holies. It's the deepest of the deep, as Rav Shlomo would say, right? It's so deep you can't even express words. It's beyond words. It's, it's ephemeral. It's almost Kabbalistic. It's mystical. And so, but it's a prayer. And so when the shaliach, when the Baal Tokea blows, it's as if I'm blowing because it's like a prayer. And if in Hilchot Tefillah, there's Shomeyach Kaona, so in Hilchot Shofa, there's Shomeyach Kaona. That's one way. But there might be another idea that I once heard Rabbi Linzer suggest, which I think is very convincing. And that is that there may be an element of, as I said before, it could be that the two themes, both themes really exist. That's what many of the achronims suggest, many of the later commentaries. There's both a mitzvah of Shemiah and a mitzvah of Tekiah. There's both. And it could be that the mitzvah of Shemiah is fulfilled in the aspect of the shofar when we first blow it. You know we blow the shofar before the dav, before Musaf? We blow it during Musaf and then we blow it after Musaf. So Rabbi, Salvate, uh, I'm sorry, Rabbi Linzer suggested it may be there's a dimension of the shofar which is purely hearing the shofar. That's like the shofar we blow before. Before the davening. Because that's to hear the shofar. We hear, it's supposed to bring us to tshuva. So it's not about, I don't have to have shomea ka'ona. I don't have to hear, I'm not doing it. I just have to hear it. So as long as this guy is a, is, is a, is a, is, is a good balt, okay, I fulfilled my mitzvah. And it's also about enthroning God. So I enthrone God because I'm not doing it. I'm hearing the enthroning of God. But the shofar blast that we do during davening, it's interesting. When do we do them? Now it is true that some, there are some Hasidim who do it during the silent Shemona Esrei also. But, but it's interesting, and even there I'll explain it in a second. But most of us do it when we do it during Chazar Sashatz. So what's going on? What's going on there? So Rabbi Linzer suggested, basically, we're blowing the shofar not as individuals then. We're blowing shofar as a tzibur, as a community, which is different than blowing as an individual or blowing as an individual where some other person is helping me fulfill my mitzvah. I'll give you an analogy. Rabbi Salveitchik often would comment that what is Chazar Sashatz? Chazar Sashatz, meaning the repetition of the Shemona Esrei. Repetition of the Shemona Esrei. What is it? We all just davened. So why am I repeating the Shemona Esrei now? 
So the Gemara in one place says the reason is because for the people who don't understand how to daven, this way they can be yotze. But what about all of us? We're all taught how to daven. So maybe we should get rid of Chazar Sashat. People would love it. So Rabbi Salvechik says in addition to the idea of the tefillah to help others who didn't fulfill, there's also a concept of tefillah hatzibur. Meaning, when a minion of Jews davens, that's called tefillah bitzibur. We daven in the context of the community. We all have gotten together, but we daven our own individual Shmona Esrei. Then, after we finish that, there's the corporate entity called Klal Yisrael, which is represented by the minion. It's a kind of Klal Yisrael in miniature, the Jewish people in miniature, which davens not tefillah bitzibur, but tefillah hatzibur, the tefillah of the community, as one entity. So Rabbi Linzer suggested maybe the same thing here. When we blow during the Shemona Esrei, what we're really doing is we're blowing not as individuals, but we have to question, where, are my Yotze through Shomei Ka'one, or not Yotze? It's, we're davening as a community, as a corporate entity, where the Baltoke is representing the community as one of the representatives. It's the corporate entity. It's not each individual person that's blowing that has to therefore find out, how do I connect to that person? No. He is my representative <laughs> And it's not a question of, oh, it's tefillin. Because so that's an individual mitzvah. Here it's the community needs to declare or needs to pray to God as a community, not just as individuals. And therefore, he represents the community with the shofar before God. So that is a very beautiful idea that may explain in a different way uh, these ideas. Okay, so today we, we looked at some of the biblical material that underpins what ultimately gets played out much more expansively in the Chazalian literature, how they played out certain and teased out certain biblical themes that are there and teased out the themes of the shofar, which are ultimately the themes of, 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 of warning, of ominous, of what we call Yom Hadin, of the day of judgment, the day of something is coming that we really need to get, we sitter about, we have to worry about. The theme of Yom ha, of, of, of prayer to God and the theme of, of enthroning God and recognizing God's kingship because he runs the world. And if you think about it, the agricultural year, what is the agricultural year? It's the renewal of creation, of the cycle of every year. So it's as if we're once again creating the world. So we recognize God who runs the world and owns the world. We then went into the halachic question of what is the nature of the mitzvah of shofar? Is the mitzvah of shofar to blow the shofar or to hear the shofar? Is it rooted in the philosophical issues or not? Or is it both? And if it is both, are there elements, halachic elements of how it plays itself out? Is it purely a personal mitzvah or is it also a communal mitzvah that we're playing out? And the dimension of prayer that may be fulfilled through the mitzvah of shofar. Wish everybody a... Um, Shana Tova Mituka and a wonderful year.